And then my daughter uh, was an infant, and I looked down at her one day in her crib, and it's like, I want to give her the best life possible. I want her to be vegan, but that means I have to do it first. So I had been learning in 12 steps all about a day at a time and all that. And so that was just how I went vegan, you know, a day at a time. And it was tough in 1983 because we didn't have non-dairy milk in every store. In fact, we didn't have non-dairy milk anywhere. You had to order it from a guy in, in Ohio who sold bags of white powder that we just kind of trusted that wasn't talcum. <laughs> so it, it was different and, and, and difficult. And yet I'm so grateful now at the age I am now that I started when I did and have all these wonderful decades of eating plants and not animals because I know it's just doing such a great job for me, body and spirit. Welcome to The Jealous Vegan, a podcast about healthy eating, habit change, and the hurdles we all need help overcoming. Today we are joined by April Cunningham, co-founder of The Jealous Vegan, health and life coach, also known as The Influencer. And special guest, Victoria Moran from Main Street Vegan. Today, I'm talking with Victoria Moran, author of the book Main Street Vegan and 13 other books, which spawned the Main Street Vegan Academy podcast and production. And I'm so excited to talk with you today, Victoria. How are you? Oh, I'm terrific. Thanks so much for having me on. You've been uh, traveling quite a bit, so to get you is, feels like a special treat. Uh, um, and how has that been going? You're traveling? Uh, I was promoting. in my favorite place. I mean, I've been traveling a lot because you mentioned Main Street Vegan Production. So we produced our first documentary, A Prayer for Compassion, which is a film by a Florida filmmaker, Thomas Jackson, to try to interest people who identify as spiritual or religious in opening that up and looking at a vegan lifestyle. So I have been around and about quite a bit with that, but we just had the UK premiere last week. So I was in London, which is my favorite place. And I think it's really good to touch base with your favorite place whenever you can, if possible. And it's also the birthplace of veganism. So it's a wonderful place to go and feel right at home. Excellent. That's an exciting fun fact. It's a birthplace of veganism? Yeah. In 1944, there were a group of vegetarians, because vegetarianism goes way back in England because they had colonized India. And so there was this uh, cross-exchange of of ideas, one of those being vegetarianism. So the Vegetarian Society had been going strong in England for well over 100 years when a few of these people, and I just have such admiration for them because this was all going on during World War II. So while they were having to sleep in underground stations and send their kids to the country and Hitler was just across the water a little bit, these lovely people were thinking about, well, you know, we're vegetarians and yet the fact that we want milk means that a veal industry exists. And then they were looking at at, uh, little boy chicks and egg operations and how they were killed in kind of gruesome ways right after hatching because they weren't needed by that industry. And so these people made themselves into a group within the vegetarian society. They called themselves non-dairy vegetarians. And that eventually became vegan. And who knew, I guess, way back then that this movement was going to be what it is now and such a force to be reckoned with. Hmm, that's it. so interesting. Huh. That's dedication too, during a war and such oh. that they were thinking 
so profoundly about their own yeah. diet and yeah. the impacts of it on animals and such. Mm-hmm. So how long have you been a vegan? I've been a vegan for 35 years and I tried longer than that. <laughs> <I've> been, <laughs> oh gosh, I've been vegetarian, I guess this year is 50 years. And I didn't even know about vegans when I first went vegetarian. And I did learn about veganism maybe three years in. And at that time, it seemed really extreme, but also it it felt right to me. It was like, okay, well, this makes sense. I certainly don't believe in exploiting the animals. And I also knew because my dad was an old-time osteopath, so he could prescribe drugs and do surgery and all that, but he still had that training because osteopathy started out as a drugless natural healing um, profession. So he had some of that in there too. And I can remember he was a sinus specialist in ENT. And on the backs of his business cards, when I was a little kid, he had a list of mucus forming foods. And the very first one was dairy. So it was like, okay, I get it. Maybe that isn't something I should be consuming, but I was dealing with a binge eating disorder. And it was just not possible for me until I could get a handle on what I was eating to do something as profound as become vegan back in the day. So mm-hmm. I, I played with it. I managed to be vegan for a month or two months. And sometimes I'd manage three months and then I'd think I was a vegan. And then, <laughs> you know, this, this new, you know, like any addict, this overpowering urge that I had to go to the Seven Eleven and eat a lot of junk and the junk all had animals stuff in it. You know, it was usually whey or egg albumin or some esoteric kind of animal product. But it took me, it took me quite a while. But when I finally made it, when I finally, first I got recovery for my eating disorder in a 12-step program, which saved my life. So I'm a big 12-step cheerleader. And then my daughter uh, was an infant and I looked down at her one day in her crib and it's like, I want to give her the best life possible. I want her to be vegan, but that means I have to do it first. So I had been learning in 12 steps all about a day at a time and all that. And so that was just how I went vegan, you know, a day at a time. And it was tough in 1983. Because we didn't have non-dairy milk in every store. In fact, we didn't have non-dairy milk anywhere. You had to order it from a guy in in Ohio who sold bags of white powder that we just kind of trusted that wasn't talcum. (laughs) So it it was different and, and, and difficult. And yet I'm so grateful now at the age I am now that I started when I did and have all these wonderful decades of eating plants and not animals because I know it's just doing such a great job for me, body and spirit. Okay, everything, there's a lot to unpack in just what you mentioned. Uh, the first thing, starting with uh, your father who had the mm-hmm. business cards of the mucus causing foods. Mm-hmm. Um, about what year was that? Do you recall? Yeah, well, it was when I first could read. So it must have been 1954. Yeah. And I presume he'd had those cards, you know, since he graduated medical school in in the late 1930s. So a lot of this stuff was known. And one of the other words on his uh, mucus forming foods was gluten. But I didn't know that word, and I thought it was glutton. And I thought it meant that if you ate a whole lot, then you'd have to blow your nose all the time, which may be kind of true. 
Um, that <laughs> that's so fascinating. That I mean, I, I just assume that, like, I had a personal belief. I have a personal belief that maybe part of the problem has been the way our dairy is um, harvested, mm-hmm. and especially now in the after. Um, and the way that our cows are treated, the way that they are, uh, the milk is harvested and the process of everything. I just had a sense of like maybe there was something in our food processing. But you're talking in the 30s before the industrialization really got mm-hmm. going. Yeah. Um, and you're talking about it was already known then that dairy was a major mucus causing yeah. factor. And in fact, most people in the globe, uh, around the globe, are lactose mm-hmm. intolerant. Um, exactly. In and yet we are addicted to, generally speaking, to cheese and cream and milk. And wow. Um, and Yeah, go ahead. The great thing now is that we can have all these products in forms that are every bit as delicious. I mean, there are vegan cheeses you can serve to French people and they'll like them. And so we have so much now that, that we didn't have back then. But in terms of the dairy milk is nature's perfect food for baby cows. Mm -hmm. One of the most profound experiences of my life was taking one of my cats to the vet and there was a sign on the wall of the nutritional makeup of mammalian milks. So it had human milk and, and dog's milk and rat's milk and walrus milk and, you know, everybody's kind of milk, whale milk. And Human milk was at the top because it was the lowest in protein and it was also fairly low in fat and it was the highest in sugar, the highest in glucose of any of the mammals' milks. And so why would that be? Well, because it's trying to grow a big, great big brain in a relatively short amount of time and the body is going to take 18, 20 years to grow. Well, in the case of a cow or some of these other animals, the brain is not really what is trying to be produced so much, it's this very large body. And I remember reading about whale milk. Whale milk was almost all fat because Mm -hmm. that baby is in that cold water and it's going to have to stay warm. And it was such an aha because I'd always thought, okay, there's cow's milk. That's what we drink. And then nursing moms make milk for a short time. I mean, I still thought that cows just made milk because they were milk making machinery, Mm. but they're just like us. They're just like cats and dogs and other mammals. They make milk just for when they have the baby, which is why we keep impregnating them and taking the babies away and doing all these, these terrible things. I mean, I was in La Leche League, so I nursed for a really long time, (laughs) three years. And, and as nursing moms who really get into it, will will tell you, you can continue nursing for as long as that stimulation of the breast is happening so the lactation continues, but you're never going to make the quantity of milk that you make when the baby is depending on mother's milk as his or her only source of food. And so it's the same with cows. That's why they have to have a baby every year because they'd still make milk, but they wouldn't make it at um, the quantity level. And it's just, it's such an interesting thing that there is no animal on the planet that drinks the milk of another animal. And there is no animal on the planet that drinks anybody's milk after the age of weaning. And that's when we lose the ability 
to digest some of these components of milk. You mentioned the lactose, the sugar, and then other people have dairy allergies, so they can't handle the casein and some of the other proteins in the milk. It's just a bizarre substance that um, we have gotten addicted to in many, many parts of the world. Yeah, it's so interesting, right? Because to your point, like it's expected that a a baby, a mammal, baby mammal needs milk up until a certain point and they are mm-hmm. intended to be weaned. And that's consistent across all mammals. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yet humans, we, we very much so switch babies from mother's milk to regular milk. Yeah. And I, I'm kind of on a campaign against that term regular milk <laughs> because it's, it's only regular if you're a calf. You know, it's very irregular. There was, oh, what was that weird show about those people from Arkansas that had all those kids, 19 kids and counting, I think it was called. And I was just, you know, flipping through the big channels one night and that show was on and they were visiting a farm and the dad, who was a little bit interesting, um, Thought it would be fun to just, as they were milking the cows, he was just going to squeeze some milk, you know, out of that cow's udder and, you know, catch it. And it wasn't like he put his mouth on the udder. It wasn't, you know, perverted. Well, it kind of was. It was just bizarre. And yet we we put some rubber tubing and, and some miles in between and we run it into a truck and we ship it to a dairy and we put it in bottles. And this thing, when, when this man was taking the milk right from the cow, it was like, ooh, creepy guy. And yet that's what we've all done every time we've consumed dairy products. So essentially, if, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we don't have an... Um, aesthetic problem with that you know we can talk about the health and the ethics and some of the other things but it's just it's a very odd practice Mm -hmm. I mean if if you're starving to death and the cow recently had a calf and you can drink some of that milk then you know that's good but I don't know anybody that's ever been in that exact situation right well and it's not an optimal food Right. We are sold Not at all. that milk is an optimal food. We, uh, When I was growing up, that milk does a body good. That was the oh, propaganda. Yeah, they say. Right? <laughs> get the mustache. <laughs> exactly. Right? And they were beautiful photos. They had supermodels yeah. there to tell milk does a body good. And in fact, milk doesn't do a body good. It, it really doesn't. When, when you break it down, it's a very interesting food stuff. So when it's whole... It's very, very high in fat. We know this. And so a lot of people want to take some of the fat out. And so they'll make 2%, which is still really high in fat because it's not 2% of, of the milk by calories. You know, it, it, it's by volume. And so when you really look at what it's 2% of, it it's not, doesn't really follow through. And then we go all the way to non-fat milk or skim milk. And we're thinking, well, that's good. Then we're just getting the good stuff. But then you're increasing the relative amount of protein. And most people would say, well, that's good because we've been brainwashed this thing that you just can't have too much protein. Well, you absolutely can. You can certainly have too much animal protein because animal protein and dairy protein in particular is what Dr. Colin Campbell looked at in in his research. It turns on cancer cells. We all have some cancer cells in our bodies and our immune system takes care of them. And, you know, we live happily ever after and, you know, die of something else. But with enough of this dairy protein coming into a body, 
in a certain number of, of cases, these cancer cells are, are proliferated just by that boost that they get from the dairy. So it, it's really not something that we want to be taking into ourselves. And everybody, of course, always talks about the calcium. But remember, the reason that there is calcium in that milk is because the mother cow was out there eating grass. And leafy greens are full of calcium. They also happen to have more protein per calorie than beef. Leafy greens are, are just the boss. Yeah. You know, you need to really eat them. You need to eat them absolutely every single day. You need to eat them in really nice quantity. But if you do that, your calcium needs are met. And if you want to get some of your calcium in the form of milk, the commercial non-dairy milks, most of them are fortified with the same amount of calcium that cow's milk has, or even 50% more. But do read the labels because there are a couple that don't do that. Mm -hmm. So can we talk, okay, so a couple things, right? Like first, I love what you're saying that, and people don't often realize this, that all protein ultimately comes from plants. We get it recycled through the animals when we eat. Um, and then there's the piece of, can we talk about protein? Because you've been... <laughs> uh, uh, a vegan for 30 years, more than 30 years, did you say? Mm -hmm. And you don't look protein deficient, Victoria. I mean, I don't know. You're traveling the world and writing, you know, 13 plus books and mm -hmm. launching an academy and podcasts and production. I mean, I, tell me, I, I, I don't know. Like people are very afraid of their protein yeah. and not getting their yeah. protein needs. <laughs> well, you know, we've we've all been brainwashed in the same way, and probably we've been brainwashed about a lot of things. This just happens to be one that I know about. And do we need protein? Of course we do. It's a macronutrient. The other macronutrients are carbohydrates, fat, and then also the non-caloric macronutrients are water and fiber. So those are the five things that we need that are big. And then we need micronutrients, vitamins, minerals, antioxidants in smaller amounts. So nobody is saying and no vegan is saying that protein is bad and we shouldn't have it. But what we're saying is that animal protein, when it gets to the, the level, well, actually well below the level that most Americans are, are consuming it, really is bad. We cannot deal with it. It turns on those cancer genes to express themselves when they would have stayed quiet before. It also doesn't have fiber, which we need so much of. It, it has very few vitamins. It's, it's something that we need. We need more of a percentage of it in the diet as children when we're growing. People over 70 need a tiny bit more of it than people do in the prime of life just because it's harder for them to extract it from the food. But generally speaking, what we get really throughout life, if we're eating a plant-based diet that comes from a variety of plants, you just cannot be protein deficient. And there are two things I always like to tell people about this. One is that there is a doctor called John McDougall that you may have had him on your program. He's a great guy. And he put $10,000 into a bank account back in 1985. And that $10,000 was to go to any nutritionist, dietitian, or physician 
who could come up with a diet based on a variety of whole plant foods that was deficient in protein or any amino acid. And that money is still sitting in the bank. Wow. To me, that's very impressive. That's compelling. <laughs> yeah. And then the other thing is, what? how could you become deficient in protein if you wanted to? Well, the first thing you could do would be starve. And we always think those, those sad, sad pictures of the starving children with the big bellies and the conditions called Korshiorkor, and we say, well, that's protein deficiency. No, it's not. There is no word for protein deficiency. Korshiorkor is protein calorie deficiency. So if you're getting enough calories from just about any natural foods, you're going to be fine. Now, let's say you were getting enough calories, but you were getting them all from super duper junk food. And I mean Twizzlers and, and you know diet coke and that was what you were living on yeah that's not or you know regular coke can give you enough calories but no protein and <clears throat> nothing else that you really want to have then um you could also if you were only eating fruit and i mean just juicy fruit i know people that call themselves fruitarians but they'll still have some leaves you know romaine leaves and some celery and some nuts and seeds as long as they have that stuff with the fruit, they're okay because some fruits, and not even all fruits, but some of them are lower than 5% of calories in protein, which is what the World Health Organization says that we need. And where they came up from that with that is that that's what is in mother's milk. So we don't really need that much once we're weaned, once we're not growing at that tremendous rate that we are when we're very small children. But they say just to be sure that people who have differing kinds of needs, we're just going to say 5% to give kind of an elastic waist. But 5% of, of calories from protein is in almost every natural food. Right. We're talking potatoes, rice, broccoli, kale. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's very, very hard not to get. And yet it's, it's the fallback. It's probably going to be the fallback for a long time. So I think a lot of us who have gone completely plant-based need to just train ourselves. When we get that question, where do you get your protein? You know, we won't roll our eyes. Because <laughs> we have the same question. You know, I think every single person who's ever changed their diet, yeah. their first question was, yeah, but what about my protein? Yeah, yeah. I, I was at, um, I was on a resort actually on vacation once and um, I was sitting there and they had agreed, it was the only restaurant, only restaurant we hadn't tried on the resort. So we went to try and they agreed to accommodate us, all plants, um, but it was a Japanese hibachi place. <laughs> And I'm sitting there with my cocktail and the plant-based meal they brought over, which was special for us and everybody else got some, well, you know, was being made. And there was a woman at the end of the hibachi bar and she was incredulous that there was no protein on our plate. Right? She's yeah. like, well, what, what are you going to eat? What is that? And I was like, oh, that's really sweet that she's going, she felt like, protective that I wasn't going to get enough yeah. protein in this meal. And I, you know, I have yeah. to take a deep breath when people ask, where do you get your protein and say, all protein comes from plants. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a real thing. And I feel like it's been yeah. very effectively. Uh, it's a very effective propaganda that we have been told mm -hmm. that if you don't eat 
a steak or some eggs from time to time, that mm. you're somehow going to be a, you're going to fall over as a human and not have strong bones. Um, yeah. And, and the other thing that's so interesting about that is what is protein for? Protein is for growth. And most of us probably listening to this podcast are through growing. Some of us probably wish we weren't growing quite so much. <laughs> and and it's also for repair. So obviously, we're going to need that for repair throughout our lives, a certain amount. And that's it. You know, when you talk about strong bones, in fact, there is some research, and it's a little bit controversial because there's some research that suggests that maybe it's not right, but there's a pretty good body of research that too much protein actually causes the body to excrete calcium uh, through the urine so that you end up with weaker bones. I've, I've read that. I just, mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the things our um, teacher, for our nutrition instructor at Main Street Vegan Academy, the dietitian Marty Davey, says that when people ask her the protein question, that there's a, I guess, principle in debate or something that the person who asks the question owns the conversation. So she says, well, where do you think I get it? And that's really interesting because then they're kind of like, uh, I mean, obviously, if you're upright and you're doing fine, you must be getting it somewhere. And they'll say something like, hmm, peanut butter? And then you get to say, yeah, because peanuts are a legume. So they have a lot of concentrated protein. And I think that's the other thing. You know, we're all looking for the concentrated protein. But the fact is you're getting protein, like you say, in every plant food that you eat. And so a lot of the raw fooders, who many of them are just absolutely beautiful, extraordinary, ageless, and they don't eat anything that looks like a concentrated protein, but they get enough of those dark leafy greens that that's where their protein comes from. And they're not even eating beans and beans are great. I I think they're wonderful. But if somebody wants to be a raw fooder or for whatever reason, doesn't want to have those high uh, nitrogen uh, kinds of foods, even they can get by, they just need to be a little more careful. Mm -hmm. The beans are like insurance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And plus the good fiber that you get for digestion and all the other things. Um, Can we step Mm -hmm. back to, because what you said about mm, dairy turning on the cancer cells. This is a fascinating uh, research uh, documented fact. And I read it in a China study and was fascinated. Mm -hmm. I mean, the evidence is compelling and undeniable. Mm -hmm. Mm Where where does this information come from? Did you read also the China study or some? I did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and I've known Dr. Campbell for many many years. Uh, when he showed up <laughs> in the the vegan movement, which was not a place he ever expected to find himself, because he started his career as a nutrition researcher looking for ways to get more protein into the diets of of children in in third world countries. And so the fact that he would ever find anything wrong with excess protein was not what he was looking for. But this is what makes him such an amazing scientist because a lot of what we read today, and it's under the rubric of science, somebody says they're a doctor or they're a whatever, and maybe they are, but they're 
their goal is not so much pure science as to make a name for themselves. And so they'll just blow up some theory or they'll take one study that wasn't all that good and, and use it to get a bestseller and get on a lot of TV shows and stuff like that. Well, Dr. Campbell was never like that. He, there's a phrase I heard years ago, let us have truth though the heavens fall. <laughs> and I don't know if he's ever heard that mantra, but it could be his mantra. And so his, his research, as you say, is, is, is very compelling. And it's also been followed up. I mean, I'm not a healthcare provider. I, I, I'm an author, a speaker, a philosopher, but I have sure been reading this stuff and studying this stuff for a very, very long time. And I've also been living it. And I'm 69 years old, and most people my age are on a whole bunch of drugs and their bodies are starting to express, or maybe they started like 20 years ago, to express the diseases that are in the family line. And I never like to say to people, oh, well, you know, go whole food plant-based and you'll live to be 106 and you'll never get sick. I mean, this is earth. Things go on. There are viruses, there are toxic heavy metals, there's stress. There are all these things that can contribute to a breakdown of health. So when I say that I don't take any pharmaceuticals, you know, you could talk to me five years from now and maybe I'd have to say, well, gosh, you know, I ended up having to go on blah, blah, blah. But I will also tell you that I would do everything before the pharmaceutical. And, And this means supervised fasting. It means juice fasting. It means um, supplements, herbs. um, And lots of plants, of course. And lots of plants, lots and lots of plants. Because the cool thing about this way of eating is that it's this dual thing. So we get rid of the meat and the eggs and the dairy. So that means all the cholesterol is gone. Most of the saturated fat is gone unless people are consuming palm oil or a lot of coconut products because those are saturated fats that cause people, at least people who are prone to cholesterol, to create more cholesterol in, in their bodies. But we're completely free of the cholesterol. We're almost free of the saturated fat and can be very, very free of that if, if we make our choices properly. But And we're getting all of this fiber. And we're getting all these antioxidants from these plant chemicals. You know, these plants are nature's supermarket. They're they're just extraordinary substances that can really heal. It's just that we've always thought of them traditionally in this culture as kind of on the side. But we need to bring them in the middle. You know, that's why people, when they first change their diet, they want to know what a, what to put on the plate where the piece of meat went. <laughs> yes, yes, so, yes. Yeah. So that's why, you know, the, the faux meats and, and the, all this wonderful, you know, the Beyond Burgers and all this kind of stuff are doing so well. And this is great. And I love it. And, and I, I love it that they're out there. And I hope they take over the world. But eventually, we get to the point where it's not so much what goes in that place on the plate that used to have the main dish, we tend to eat more in bowls, you know, and it all comes together. (laughs) And it's grains and greens and beans and wonderful sauces and herbs and spices and yumminess. And uh, yeah, we all talk a lot about our food because we're excited about it. And I think that's so key, right? Like what you touched on is that we have this tendency when people are first transitioning, um, 
they're looking to replace the meat on the plate because it's a huge component and it's the thing people think of first. But the idea of going plant-based or vegan um, is that you don't need meat. Just eat more veggies, right? And, and that's why you can eat. Mm-hmm. A person can go vegan and, air quote, and eat potato chips and Oreos. And that's technically yeah. vegan, but it's terrible and not yeah. nutritionally yeah. Um, nourishing. And so it's 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 making that conscious choice to say i don't i don't need meat okay now what can i put on my plate well i think one thing have you seen this also that sometimes people will make this change and they'll forget that they need something with substance to it because that's really what meat is you know i i was looking at the ingredients on some of the the newer much better like faux meats and I see that what they are is pea protein and some kind of fat and then some flavorings. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, wait a minute, that's what meat is. It's protein and fat and, yeah. you know, the flavor that comes from the blood or whatever gives it flavor, mostly I think what we put on top. And yet when it, it because of the protein and the fat, it's heavy. And I think lots of times we forget about the beans. We forget about the, the grains. We forget about this something that's going to ground us to the earth. Because lots of times people will say, oh, I tried to go vegan and I was just space cadet. You know, or I was hungry all the time. Or I, I got lightheaded. Well, yeah, if, if you are taking in 600 calories a day because all you're eating are salads... Right. Right. I, so, I absolutely you know, agree with that. And I feel like also it's, it's the, it's the creaminess. I know for myself, that was the thing that I missed mm-hmm. most was I, I was like, how do I get ice cream? Like I, I'm missing that creamy factor. Um, and then mm-hmm. I was blown away. I was following another uh, recipe creator and she made a hemp seed uh, dressing that was creamy and delicious and of course you get the hemp so you're getting the antioxidants and the omega-3s and like and i was just like what (laughs) (laughs) it is possible (laughs) you know the moment like oh this does exist um oh yeah i mean and you open the door you know, you can, it can be called vegan. It can be called plant-based. You're going to find everything behind both doors. You know, it doesn't matter which way you walk through. Just be sure that once you walk through, you come in with a lot of curiosity and you learn. You learn about how to make the food or how to find it already made. You learn about the nutrition. You learn about, you know, kind of little, little tweaks that you might need to do just to make it work absolutely precisely for you. I love that you said that it's the curiosity rather than the constriction or feeling like these are all the things I can't eat. It's the curiosity of like, what is, what can I eat? Right. When you remove this component from your plate, that's like, there's space there. Yes. How would you like to fill that space? This Mm -hmm. is, this could be an adventure. This could be a a process of discovery, you know? Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about, you mentioned having a daughter and raising your daughter to be um, vegan. And I'm wondering, because parents ask us too, they're very concerned about getting their kids, getting the nutritional needs. I'm curious about your journey as a parent and um, raising Mm -hmm. a V a child who is a vegan. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. It was very natural in our lives because it was just the way we lived and the way we did things. 
And I didn't realize until years later that I think I did have a kind of little subculture <laughs> that I had created that maybe wasn't 100% the real world. Because my daughter would say, that, she said to me once when she was a teenager, she said, do you know, I used to think that Coca-Cola and cocaine were the same thing because you always seem so horrified <laughs> about it. So, um, I mean, we really tried to have a life and a household that was based on nonviolence, that was based on respect for all humans and all living things, um, you know, a, a sense of this kind of spiritual connectedness of, of all beings, a great respect for those beings that we were not eating, that we we visited. You know, they didn't have farm sanctuaries when my daughter was little, but we would go to petting zoos, which, you know, I mean, I don't really believe in petting zoos because they're exploiting the animals. But it was so important for this little girl at a time when that was the only place to get to see chickens and, and pigs and cows to get to go there and get a sense, oh yeah, these are animals just like my cats and you know, I, I don't wanna eat them. And then the health part, it, it kids only want what they've been exposed to. And, and so if you start them young eating all this wonderful food, they're not gonna have the exact same taste as adults. You know, they have little mouths and little teeth. And so some things are gonna be harder to chew, you know? Um, and then other, they don't like really hot spices. We went to India the first time when my daughter was eight and we took a whole separate suitcase that was called her India stash because I knew I'd heard that the food there was super, super spicy. And, and I knew she couldn't handle that as a little kid. So, you know, we have to give them what they need. And yet, basically, they're just little humans. <laughs> and so, for the most part, they just eat whatever we eat. And I think the one thing that's particularly important, if parents get into this for health, they need to know that if they want their kids to be in it, they need to understand the animal issues because children relate to animals. This is why we read them animal stories. We give them stuffed animals. They sleep with the teddy bear. There's something about kids and animals and they will get it. We don't eat our friends. And when you start talking about you're not going to have a heart attack when you get old if you eat this way, that is not going to fly whether your kid is, is five or 15. Right. It's like, yeah, whatever. Right. <laughs> and yet, you know, and you can talk certainly with teenagers about uh, acne and, and other things that um, this way of eating has been shown anecdotally, not, not big studies, but a whole lot of moms and kids will say, yeah, you know, you shut down that acne machine when you start eating mm -hmm. this way. So in my case, my daughter has just always, always been vegan and she's now all grown up. I won't say exactly her age, um, but she's a professional stunt performer and aerialist. She's just finished a tour um, with the Marvel people being Rocket Raccoon. Congratulations. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, she's she's cool. I mean, and she's so strong. I tease her, you know, don't let me bump into you because I might break something. Because she's just literally like a tank because of all the exercise she does. And lots of times people will say, oh, those vegan bodybuilders, you know, they built all that muscle before they went vegan. 
but I can tell you this little kid has been vegan from the time she was weaned from mother's milk and all that muscle comes from plants, which makes so much sense because if you think about the animals that we have hitched to, I don't know, chariots and plows and Budweiser trucks forever, they've been plant right. eaters. So right. uh, my, my kid is strong right. like and, an and ox. I love that you bring that out <clears throat> because parents sometimes freak out like, well, the doctor says... I need to transition them and to, you know, to dairy. Um, gorillas are largely plant-based and nobody worries about their yeah. protein deficiency. Not a yeah. question. I mean, I, they eat a little termites as I understand, I, like I eat a little something, but overall they're plant, they eat plants. Right. Exactly. And you know what? Instead of the termites, we have beans. Right. <laughs> we have a very high protein food source in the bean. And a lot of people are down on soy. They do not need to be. It's a bean. All that stuff about how it'll cause your kids to get to puberty early or it causes cancer. It is absolutely the opposite. There's been, you know, I hate to sound like some kind of conspiracy theorist, but there has been you know, almost a, a, a conspiracy against soy from people who just don't think that people should be vegetarian or, or vegan or plant-based or anything in that neighborhood. And so something like tofu is very easy to digest, very easy for kids uh, to work with and, and, and to eat. And so, of course, if your child is going through a really picky phase, it's a little harder. If your child has allergies to certain plant foods, it's a little harder. But the fact is the plant kingdom is so vast. You cannot eat all kinds of stuff and you still have such variety. It's just that with children, you have to absolutely be sure that they're getting what they need because especially they go off to school, they go to friends' houses, you don't always know what they're getting. So even things like making a wonderful smoothie. I'm a big fan of smoothies because you can put so much in there. And particularly for a kid, you can use a good high quality protein powder. Now, does that mean that I'm saying, you know, vegans don't get enough protein? No, but I'm saying when your kid goes off to school, you don't know if, you know, they're going <clears> to <throat> trade the peanut butter sandwich for somebody's jelly sandwich. And so, you know, to just get that little extra protein in the morning, you can also put some blackstrap molasses in a smoothie. And that is almost a, an iron and calcium tonic, uh, just a tablespoon of that. It provides a little bit of sweetness. It's also really high in calcium, really high in iron. And then you put some soy milk, unless your child is allergic to soy, because there's just more to it. There's nothing wrong with almond milk, cashew milk, uh, flax milk, hemp milk, all these you know kinds of hemp milk. The, the soy does tend to have more protein. And that is something kids do need more than we do. And they tend to be, you know, go through these periods of being picky. And then you put in the wonderful berries and, and banana. The banana makes it taste like it came from a soda fountain. And the berries have all these incredible antioxidants. And I do want to get in a, a word for anybody of any age, wild blueberries. Because regular blueberries are great. They're full of antioxidants. There's nothing wrong with them. But the wild blueberries are just exponentially so packed with the phytochemicals, the protective plant chemicals, and the antioxidants, because that blue color goes all the way through the wild blueberry. You get them frozen. You can get them at Trader Joe's or any kind of supermarket, and they're actually cheaper than fresh blueberries, 
but you get more from them. So you put all that stuff into a smoothie in the morning for your kid and you can send them out really knowing that they have gotten a fabulous start on the day and just make sure they, they get some greenery during the day, some, some beans or, or some peanuts or something like that. And you know, they're going to do great. So I love this. I love this. You just reminded me I was, I used to love wild blueberries in my smoothie. I've stopped. I don't know why. So now you just, you just put it in my brain like, yes, it's summertime. Hello in DC. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about the, did you have any social pressure? Like sometimes, you know, you, you went vegan, your daughter, you're doing this for yourself, but your family likely is everybody in your family, mom, dad, aunts, uncles, cousins, friends. How do you navigate the social pressure of of, of doing this air quote alternative thing when everybody else is doing the mainstream thing? Yeah, I think it's it differs with every family. My family was pretty cool, and I think it was because my dad had had that kind of natural health practitioner training early on. And, you know, my mom, I don't know why she was cool with it. I think it's because she grew up really poor in the country and she knew that they they did all right, <laughs> even when sometimes there just wasn't much food and they just had to, you know, get what they could get. And I think she's thinking, you know, this this privileged kid in contemporary America is probably going to be fine with her health nut mom, <laughs> you know, putting all these powders in, in her smoothie. But I think a lot of it is is mutual respect. And when you go vegan, to really communicate with eye messages and what we want, you know, lots of times, especially people who go vegan for ethical reasons, we just want to sit everybody down and say, okay, look, you're doing it all wrong. You know, you're, you're murdering these animals, you're destroying the planet. And not only that, you're clogging your arteries and mom, you fed me wrong. So whatever's wrong with me is your fault. Well, how far are we going to get with that? (laughs) You know, not very. So I think what we need to do is just mom, whom I love so much because I wouldn't be me if it weren't for you. This is really important to me. I really believe that I have found a way that is going to increase my health and my potential to live my full life, my children that I have now or that I plan to have. And, you know, I'm not going to tell you how to live because you've got more wisdom than me. You make your own decisions. But can I just ask you, would you please support me in this? And if mom says something like, but I don't know anything about it. It sounds crazy to me. It sounds like you're going to starve to death and you're going to starve my grandchildren. And you say, would you just read this book or would you listen to a book? I've become this great fan of Audible. And the first book that somebody gets on Audible is free. So you can send somebody a book and just let them listen. Because, you know, a book like The China Study, that's tough going. But they could listen or, you know, a book like Main Street Vegan that's very conversational and has short chapters so that people can, um, you know, digest it and get a sense. And then even if it's not something they want to do for themselves, you know, sometimes people will say, well, I'm too old to make that change or whatever, but they can at least respect you. And I had this experience with my mom shortly um, before she died. She said, now, you know that we used to think you were crazy 
eating that tofu and doing that <laughs> yoga. But now people, doctors tell them yep. to do that. And I thought, okay, I'm vindicated by my mother's internist. But I think lots of times, even when the family is kind of giving you a hard time, they're sort of admiring too, because we admire people that it seems like they have a lot of discipline. And then I think it doesn't take any discipline to eat this way. I love to eat this way. But to outside people, it's like, wow, you're not doing the McDonald's thing. You're not going out for a steak dinner to celebrate stuff. You know, you're not having a hot dog at the ballpark, even though now, you know, I guess even McDonald's is going to be getting some kind of veggie burger and you can get a hot dog at the ballpark if that's when you want to do your little kind of 10% um, processed food, um, you know, just to kind of be part of it. That's the thing, right? Like, yes, Burger King is getting as an impossible, they're using impossible. They have an impossible burger, mm-hmm. and then McDonald's yeah. is supposed to be getting one. Yeah. So it, I feel like it's a blessing and a curse because, one, it brings mm-hmm. plant-based or vegan into people's purview mainstream, which is good, but then it also brings in the possibility of this processed food and people thinking of vegan is like, I just grab a burger, which is well, not the objective of, of whole foods right. that are you know nutritionally right. dense. Well, I tend to be really practical. And our planet, according to the best scientists, is on its last legs. The UN is saying 12 years to get this climate situation turned around, not to mention all the air pollution, the water pollution, you know, the lack of, of topsoil, all these, these terrible things that are happening, how, how the little... Um, Uh, creatures in the ocean that are responsible for making more than half the oxygen that we breathe are having trouble forming their shells because of the acidification of the ocean. I mean, there is a lot of really bad Mm -hmm. stuff going on. So what makes me celebrate these processed products is people who want to eat hamburgers, they need to be eating our kind of hamburgers. And a lot of people who eat meat they don't want to eat that kind of food. They're, you know, they're having salads and they're having their grilled salmon and whatever. So when they come over, they're going to come right to whole food plant-based because they've been eating kind of whole food omnivore already. So they're going to come there. And the people that do the drive through thing a lot, they're going to get brought over with those processed foods, which as I was doing a kind of nutritional analysis of, of, a regular hamburger versus the impossible and and the beyond burger. And I would say the beyond burger is 50% healthier than a hamburger. Now, do I only want to be 50% healthier than somebody who goes to McDonald's all the time? No, I want to, you know, a hundred percent healthier. And yet it's a little bit better for the person. It's a whole lot better for the cow and a whole lot better for the planet. So I just think if we can all kind of celebrate each other and, you know, br- bring people right. along. It's, it's meeting people where they, they are, are, right? And like it's starting yeah. somewhere and especially understanding the journey that's non-trivial, right? You have to be, to, the, to speak yeah. to what you said before about you don't think it's all that, takes all that much discipline. I think so, because you're going against the grain. Absolutely. And, and as a, uh, I'm not 100% vegan. I am trying to get there, but, but I probably eat uh-huh. about 90% whole plants. Um, there are occasions when I have uh-huh. a piece of fish or my grandmother puts some butter in something and I'm like, sure, right? Um, uh-huh. 
Yeah. But um, the idea of like approaching it and one of the hardest parts for me through my out my journey, even to get to this point, has been the social factor of like my grandmother makes amazing mac and cheese. Yeah. Like, how can I not eat her food? Right. Um, and even now, yeah. my grandmother, you know, she's she's great and she has she makes me plant based meals. She just happens to make them with in butter. So we're working on it step by step, but it's still very delicious, you know, and you have to start somewhere and she loves me. She wants to make something that's delicious. So I'm willing to compromise for that, you know, for, for love and for her making an effort. I make an effort, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, we have to navigate all these decisions. It's very personal. You know, it's, it's, it's not like, uh, you know, here, here's the rules, you know, follow the rules. You know, you, you come to this as you come to it. And I think what most people find is, is, is the more we kind of open up into it and, and the more it just sort of becomes normal. Like I was listening to a book about a woman who's not an alcoholic, but decided her life would be better if she pretty much didn't drink, but she didn't want to say never. So she calls it sober curious. And so people will say, but how much do you drink? And she's like, well, you know, at this point, it's like, I just pretty Mm -hmm. much don't. And I think that's how it is with this too. You know, you get to the point of, you know, it just feels so good. So are you vegan? Well, yeah, I'm vegan. I've got this grandmother exemption. But other than that, I just don't I love it. My grandmother it, exemption. Know? I love it. Can I can I steal that? Yeah, um, yeah it's absolutely That's that it. thing. Like, wh- do I need a box? Why, can- why do I need a, a box to categorize? Yes, I love plants. My body loves plants. That's my biology says yes mm-hmm. to plants. And it says no to animal products. Um, and so... And not just me, but I feel like this is hard also for our audience sometimes is that understanding that you don't you don't have to have a label flexitarian, uh, vegetarian, vegan, really the label is not as important as the consciousness and the approach. I love that you said that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's so true. People could just not be judgmental and just find what works for them, but also Mm -hmm. recognize how important it is to eat plants um, mm-hmm. the world would be a better place in so many ways. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and you can create this better mm-hmm. place in your own mm-hmm. home and, and your own body home. And so the world, you know, all these things go on and, and you, you, know, you look at the news and it's like, oh, you know, what's going on? And yet you can create this zone of peace so your body is at peace because it's operating properly and and no violent food or or violent images or violent products come past your door you know what's out there is out there but you have this wonderful space that's just yours so it, it's almost like you you create a little bit of paradise and my sense is that if enough of us did that then we would get a lot closer mm-hmm. to heaven on mm-hmm. earth. So interesting. I so have enjoyed this conversation. So many delicious things. I feel like we could continue to talk. Um, tell the audience where they can find you, obviously Main Street Vegan. Where can they find you? Where can they buy your book? How can they connect with you and learn more? Oh, thank you. Well, MainStreetVegan.net is where it all lives. 
And uh, there you can check out the books, which of course are on Amazon and wherever books are sold. You can also read about Main Street Vegan Academy if you are a vegan and you want to take that to the next level and get certified as a vegan lifestyle coach and educator. We have the most fun five and a half day magical time in, in New York City. I think we've extended it now. It's more like six days. Um, and in addition to having wonderful classes from some of the best and the brightest in, in the vegan world. So we've got a cardiologist, a dietitian, we have a vegan fashion designer. We've got the head of uh, New York City Hip Hop is Green. We have a vegan uh, pastry chef. We have all these incredible people teaching vegan principles, communication principles, and business principles. So you can get out there and really take this thing to the next level. We also take fabulous field trips because New York City is kind of Disneyland for vegans. And then you can also check out uh, the Main Street Vegan Podcast, which is just starting its eighth year. So uh, we have a a fresh new show every week and uh, fabulous uh, archives for all those years. And then Main Street Vegan Productions is where um, a prayer for compassion. Uh, You can read about that. Uh, We're going to go digital in the fall. And right now, if anybody wants to show it, if they're they're church or synagogue or mosque or yoga studio or whatever, uh, they can do that absolutely free. And it tells you how, um, you know, they're on the page. So do uh, come by and and be in touch and uh, sign up for the newsletter and let's be connected. I love it. Thank you so much, Victoria, for coming on. Such a pleasure to have you. you. And we will definitely make sure we drop all those details into the show notes audience in case you missed that. Um, But definitely check out Victoria and follow her journey and know from from her experience that you can live a vegan lifestyle for life. So thank you for your example. A good, a good life, life, a strong life even. Oh, yeah. Thank you. And thanks for all you do, you and your wonderful right, thank colleagues. You. Thank you for listening. Please connect with us on social media at The Jealous Vegan on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or at thejealousvegan.com. And sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content to support your plant-based journey. And until then, don't let perfection be the enemy of progress.